Yo, dude, it's 420, dude. Let's get fucking blazed, dude. Hello. Uh, I don't I don't smoke weed. Uh, it's, it's 420, so that's probably what a lot of people are doing today. Um, I prefer beer. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Dogfish Head 60-Minute IPA. It's a delicious beer. Brewed... Um, where are they brewed? I forgot where Doghead is exactly. Hmm, look. It is in Milton, Delaware. So, here's to you, Delaware. You got a pretty good beer. All right. So, um, got another podcast for you guys lined up. So, I mentioned in the last episode that I was going to kind of wrap up the gear talk. Um, and, uh, I have some, some of the lesser, I guess, common things. We're going to go through the more minutia, um, stuff. I mean, the things that we all have to have, but it's not your typical, you know, your rifle, your chassis, your barrel, your, you know, we've gone through all that in the last episode. Um, just the other stuff and, uh, we'll get to that. Um, First, man, blast from the past. I bought on eBay due to this here coronavirus a Super Nintendo, my favorite console. Now, now mind you, I am not a gamer. I but my the most recent console that I have ever owned myself was a PlayStation 2, if that tells you anything. Um, but the Super Nintendo, and I never owned an N64, but I did love playing GoldenEye and uh, a couple other games on N64. But uh, Nintendo 64, I mean, uh, Super Nintendo has been my favorite throughout my life. So it's literally just like, uh, you know, reminiscing of my childhood, waking up on Saturday mornings playing Super Mario World or uh, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter. So I got. Mortal Kombat 3, I've been fucking my son's ass up in some Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2 Turbo. I've been, I mean, he gets so damn mad, like, it's not fair that I'm fighting back. And I have, have, he said, you're not letting me fight. the Jackson, you have to understand this. This is a competition. Your job is to best me. It is to beat me. It is to impose your will upon me. You are failing to do so, son. And he gets still gets angry. But, I'm, it's you know, we're having fun, but it's teaching him a life lesson as well. Just because you're not winning doesn't mean the other person isn't playing fair. That means you need you got some work to do. So let that be a lesson to all of us because sometimes we... Uh, even as adults seem to forget that, um, I don't blame anybody for beating me other than myself in, in whatever else I'm doing. Um, so, you know, teaching him, he's four. also letting him see how big old slices of humble pie taste when he gets his shit kicked in by Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero is my, my dude. That's my main man on Mortal Kombat. Uh, I'm playing some Super, me and my wife are Super Mario freaks. We'll sit up there and, and play two player and, you know, team up and, and try to, try to, you know, beat the damn game, I guess. 
it's been fun. Um, see, I ordered today. I ordered Star Fox. That was one of my favorite games. I ordered Mega Man X. That is probably the most slept on, underrated Super Nintendo game. I loved it as a kid. Mega Man X was the shit. I ordered Mortal Kombat 2 because my son, I, today, <laughs> I don't know if this makes me a good dad or a bad dad, but he's been getting this Mortal Kombat 3 because that's what I ordered first because it's the better one. But um, so I let him watch today. I, I watched uh, the movie Mortal Kombat with him, which was a cheese ball ass movie. But as a kid, it was the coolest, right? Um, that dun, 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 that that music gets you hyped up and shit. Um, but uh, he liked uh, Scorpion in that one. So he says, "Why don't we have Scorpion in our game?" So I said, eh, "He's he's in the other game." And so I ordered Mortal Kombat two shittier graphics and and you know you, you don't move as fast and it's but he's in white playing scorpion um but i ordered that game today i ordered spawn which i liked the comic book as a kid and then when the movie came out but i never played the video game so i'm looking forward to playing the video game so let's see i got spawn star fox mortal kombat 2 and mega yeah that's it mega man x okay so we got those coming they'll be here Hopefully this week. Also, last night at about 11.45, I started watching Waco on Netflix. Now, I'm too young to remember Waco. Uh, I mean, I was alive, obviously, but I was too young to remember it. But I know prior to this documentary, um, or not a documentary, a series they did on it, it ain't a documentary. Um, but I have done my research, given my views on our political climate and overreach of federal government and everything it you know it, it's behoove you to to learn about ruby ridge and waco and uh now I, believe me the biggest villains here were the atf the fbi and the overall clinton administration or the federal government but this Waco movie or, or series, they do paint David Koresh of being a little more benevolent than he probably really was. I mean, they're showing his, his, uh, this, this, I haven't finished it yet, but I, we, we all know how it ends, right? It ends with a bang. Um, but it, it's showing like his little bit of his sex culty type behavior and stuff like that. But it's, they're still painting him to be, a little more of a, I don't want to say saint, but you get what I'm saying. They're not, this dude was a cult leader. Let's be honest here. Okay. He was a cult leader and it, it just, I don't, I don't know. They, they definitely did not paint him in the exact light that he probably should have been in. Um, let me try to get volumes up here. So you guys aren't complaining about it being too quiet. Um, but overall they are the, the document or movie docu series, whatever it is, they are really shitting on the ATF <laughs> and rightfully so. I'm glad they put it this way. If, if they're going to skew the details in any direction, I'm glad they're skewing it in the direction they are because they're not letting the ATF and FBI get away with what they did now mind you 
I like to think at, if if Waco or Ruby Ridge happened today, that there would be a much. I'm trying to use my words carefully, I guess, a much stronger response from the American populace than there actually was in '93. '93, yeah, you had people with signs and stuff like that, but I mean, come on, kids. Nothing. Ha the federal government was in by no means ways, shape, or forms held accountable for the lives that were lost there. Um, you know, the, the people, you know, at Mar Mount Carmel and in Ruby Ridge and the officers involved or the, you know, the ATF members involved that were killed. I mean, it's. And you know the sad thing is that in 2020, I'm I rarely am ever stifled, but it, it I'd be remiss if I spoke completely freely in the days of the nanny state that we had today. I mean, there's there's no telling who's listening to this right now. Uh, this is a worldwide pod you know, in my mind is very small and, and minuscule in a grand scheme because it is, but all it would take would be the wrong person to hear it to then send it to the even more wrong person. And then it could be, you know, manipulated and translated and taken in any way that they want it to. And then I get knocks on my door and let's just say that's not good for anybody if that happens. But, um, I don't want that, but you know, it's this, it's, it's sad. You cannot, you know, the first amendment is, is much trampled upon as the second is. And so was the fourth. So, and, and that's the sad situation and truth that we live in, in 2020 in the United States of America, our founding fathers would absolutely shit their pants if they seen what their great, 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 great grandkids are doing with their country. Um, and not only the government, but the voters. I mean, these people get in office, most of them legitimately, I guess. And, you know, so that means you have a, a large portion of certain sectors of the country that apparently agree with this type of behavior from their government. Um, and here you've got Trump saying, liberate fucking Virginia, liberate New Mexico, liberate Arizona. Well, I forgot all the states he mentioned, but fuck, man, those are strong words. I mean, I'm not saying they were reckless words because I happen to agree, but I mean, they could be loosely interpreted by the wrong person and, you know, they start kicking shit off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very possible, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's where we're at here in times of the Corona. Um, so I want to take this time to, if you haven't listened to it, the VP precision podcast, that is Jake Vibberts and John Pinch's podcast. Uh, John recently had Joe Walls on 
who is the owner of Exodus Rifles and I guess co-owner of um crap now it's OTM Tactical holy crap it left me for a second uh and you know Joe's a very avid and very well accomplished shooter I mean in the podcast he mentions which I didn't know this his very first PRS style match I don't know if it was a legit PRS match but first practical tactical what we know of PRS and NRL matches today his first match he fucking won it now he'd shot other matches so he wasn't a, a shit shooter or anything you know he he wasn't your run-of-the-mill first-time shooter raising his hand yeah this is my first match no he's a, was a very good shooter at the time but I mean there's a lot of guys that are very well accomplished in other disciplines that they come and eat buckets of shit their first PRS match. And he come out and won the damn thing. So with with some with a pretty stout field. This was back in like twenty like twenty ten or twenty eleven. I can't remember when he said it was. But anyway, he is a very big BR slash dasher shooter and advocate. And uh so his his knowledge on the um on the BR based cartridge family is i mean pretty pretty stout and he and he's uh, definitely an authority on the subject and he also goes into his i mean he's his whole shtick is shooting tiny ass little ridiculous fucking groups and that's awesome um i mean is that required to do well in in the game that we're playing no it's not but i mean at least you then have the the luxury of knowing that if you miss at all, it is not your load or your rifle. It is 100% you or your wind call. So um, that's one variable that's removed. But he, uh, anyway, he goes into like his reloading procedures in the podcast episode. He goes into his cleaning procedures. And there's a lot of knowledge to be gained in that episode if you're a match shooter or yeah, even a, a F-class or whatever shooter, just as far as your the way he does his things to, to, to accomplish these little bitty groups and um, his cleaning procedure. Now, me, I have always been in the camp of, oh, and barrel break-in, I'll get into that too. I've always been in the camp of more like more so the minimalist. I mean, he has, he mentioned, you know, a, a thing that we all hear and have, most of us have said, including myself, of, talking about you know windy how often do you clean is he said you know it kills him to hear the guy that says let the gun tell you when to clean it because that's been me i've always said that um now i'll clean if i've got a match coming up and i know i got a bunch of rounds down and i'm gonna clean it and foul it in beforehand i don't i don't want to go into a match with a super duty heavy round count you know since my last cleaning barrel but i also just i don't go into the detail that he does and it's still simple as far as barrel break-in, he does screw the barrel on, go put 150 rounds down it. Now, that has been me. Break-in is me shooting the damn thing. I don't do a shoot two or shoot three or shoot five and clean and shoot five and clean and shoot three and clean and shoot three and clean, shoot one and clean. I don't do that shit. I've never done that. Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to any of them. Uh, everybody has, you know, anybody who has any type of procedure at all, it's always different than the next guy unless he learned it from the next guy. And 
there's I don't know that there's really any science at all behind it. It's all anecdotal, nuanced, and you know, it I'm not saying it, it will hurt you or your barrel. I'm just saying that does it actually do shit? Does it does it waste my time in effort and energy? I believe so. I'm in the camp of Joe of go shoot the damn thing. You know, go just go shoot Go put, go get a safe load. Don't do load development on it till you got at least 150 rounds on it. You know, now I'm, I am guilty of doing load development on a pretty new barrel, but it's just so to have something to do and putting rounds down it, but go find you a safe known load and go shoot barricade practice, whatever. Um, and go from there, right? That's what he does. And then his cleaning procedure. He does the same thing after his quote-unquote break-in, and then he goes and does the same procedure well, throughout the barrel's life every 300-ish rounds. And, I mean, that's about kind of where I end up subconsciously cleaning anyway. Like, I just not like, oh, I'm at 300, I need to clean. But that's just about where I end up landing, whether it be, 50 before or 50 or 100 after is when I clean. But, you know, when you're shooting these, you know, these dashers and, and BRs, especially shooting Varget and 4895 and the powders we use, they're very nasty ass, dirty powders. The way to get rid of a carbon ring is to never get one. So the prevention um, is is pretty key. So what he does is he gets a product from Thorough Clean, which Bullet Central makes. Um, it's a two a two part kit, I guess you'd call it. Uh, one is a paste, and one is a, a high viscosity liquid. Um, he basically throws a wet patch of the or a wet patch or two of the, uh, the liquid. Gets a a, a overbore size uh, bronze brush, brand new. And like he said, you know, for a six millimeter, he'll get a seven millimeter brush, bronze. And I've always dealt with, I've either used bronze brushes and wrapped them in patches and then soaked them, or I've used nylon patches in the past. But uh, he's like, you're not going to fuck up. If you fuck up a barrel with a bronze brush, you got a fucked up barrel. So um, but anyway, um, and he puts the paste, after he pat, wet patches a few times, he puts the paste on the new bronze brush and scrubs it about 20 times, patches it, then does the same thing, uses the paste again on the brush, does it another time, patches it out, and then cleans up, cleans up the chamber with either acetone or brake cleaner or carb cleaner or something like that, which... Everybody should have. I have all three up here in my reloading room. I'm looking at them right now. Um, and just getting that barrel back to new. Goes and puts a few fouling shots down the barrel before he decides to go and do any real shooting with it. Um, and then goes from there, does it, repeats, his, repeats every 300 rounds. And I think that's cool. And so I have just received today um, my thorough clean cleaning system and the other day i'd gotten in my off of amazon um i got i don't know eight or so of the bronze brush oh so you you every time you use it you throw the damn thing away the, the bronze brush and just they are pretty cheap um and just start with a new one every time i don't know other than just being dirty 
I don't know like what the difference is of using a new one or a like one you used last time, like it was new last time, and just I'm not saying you gotta use a new one, but they're cheap enough and a big fucking deal. So I'm gonna give it a try. Um, my next cleaning, I don't know when, um, probably another hundred or 200 rounds and I'm going to, I'm going to clean it and I'm going to go that route and I'm going to see how much I break up. Now, what I have done to try to stay on the previously trying to stay on top of the carbon ring is I'll take my gun. Now, if it's for my AI, then I just unscrew the damn barrel. But for my, um, Hancock rifle, I will take the bolt out. Put the gun muzzle down like in a cup and then lean up against the wall. And then I will take my cleaning rod and jag with um, a big uh, oversized patch. Soak it in either Bortec. I've done it with Bortec. I've done it with Wipeout Patch Out. And I've done it with um, a carburetor cleaner. And I have basically just put the rod, put the jag down. And as soon as I feel the throat, I stop and I let it and I lean up against the wall and I let that patch just sit on that carbon. If there's a carbon right on that throat and then for hours, I mean, it's not going to hurt the bore. It's not going to hurt the barrel at all. And just let it sit and lay right there on that throat to break up any carbon that was there. And then, you know, Seven, eight hours later, I'll patch it out. And I mean, I'm not going to say that my, if I had a clean bore to begin with, meaning if I had cleaned the bore before I did that and got all the dirty carbon out of the bore, then I did the, I guess you'd call it throat treatment. I'm not going to say that, man, that patch was as dirty as it could be after doing that. Maybe I just don't know. I don't know if I'm not getting the carbon out or if I'm just not developing one because this is what I'm doing. Uh, but I haven't had any weird pressure spikes or, you know, anything out of the ordinary happening. So heavy bolt closes or anything like that. So, you know, hopefully I'm on top of it. But by doing it the route he's talking about, I'm not going to have to worry. There's not going to really be a question because the carbon ring doesn't have a choice but to come out. Um, they mentioned in the podcast about, you know, trying to just patch out a, a carbon ring. I agree. You literally can't patch out a carbon ring unless doing what I'm talking about, do what I've been doing. And I learned that from Josh Coons. Um, that what you're not, you're not like just, you know, technically patching it out. Yes, technically you are patching it out, but you're letting a a uh, solvent, a copper salt, I mean, excuse me, a carbon solvent soaked patch sit on it for hours and it will chemically break it down and then patching it out. So that the patching out is not getting rid of it. The, the solvent sitting on it is what's doing it. You're just then pushing it out once you, once you fully clean it. Um, but I'm going to give it a try. It, it doesn't really have a choice. I think about getting one of those bore scopes off of Amazon. Uh, Jeff, my shooting partner, he's got one. He actually seems to like it's like 50 bucks and you hook it to your damn smartphone and, and I've seen pictures from it and for 50 bucks, I think it's a good deal. I mean, it, it's not as good as the bore scopes I used on, you know, Pratt and Whitney 220 E's, but, 
that thing's also about $80,000. I mean, that shit was like high definition movie camera inside of a $5 million jet engine. But I'm going to give that a go. So I'm trying to think which one I want to do from here first. Do I want to do the gear talk stuff or do I want to go into Jack Master's message and his things he wanted me to mention that I'd mentioned in the last, the end of the last episode? I think I'm going to go with the gear first. Um, these are just some gear things. Now, he also had has previously, his first message to me was about the last episode and about the gear and everything. Well, episode before last. And uh, he has a thread that he had made back, I don't know when, but um, about different you know, equipment and breakdown of every component that we use. And I could use that as a reference, but it's a very long thread. I remember when he, I read it when he uh, first posted it on Sniper's Hide. Um, but I'm going to just kind of, these are the things I've got written down here that I'm going to go over with, um, first one being bipods, um, bipods. I have a few and I've had most, um, I haven't gotten into the sky pod or, or the thunder beast bipod yet. They're a little pricey. Uh, CL just got one and he brought it over to the house the other day. And that thing was pretty cool. I think to me, it's the most versatile bipod on the market today meaning you can use that bipod in in situations that other bipods would not even be either used or on the gun right they, they it becomes a tool that you can use more often than you can a, a standard operating bipod um it would take a little of a learning curve to get used to and to know when and where you can use it and a, a match probably is not the best place to learn that but um, I think once you get it, you know, once you get dialed on it, then I think it would be a um, invaluable tool in certain situations that you don't have an option otherwise. So um, that's one that I've played with, but one time, but I don't have and don't have any real experience with. Um, let's see. On my Hancock right now is the standard Atlas BT-10. Um, it's a good bipod. Uh, it's a good prone bipod. I don't like panning. If they made, okay, they ha I've had the Cal Gen 2, and that was like, my opinion, the ultimate prone bipod. The problem is, when I've mentioned in some of the you know, earlier episodes, that the wide stance, what makes it so, so good uh, being a prone bipod, is it it's too wide to be shooting off of certain things that a either a standard Atlas or even a Harris could be utilized or even the, the new SkyPod. And, you know, it can go very narrow, but it then of course that makes it taller, but you can be used in all those places where the Calgen 2 cannot. Um, I sold that because a couple of years ago I had the, AccuTac, uh, was it BR5, the, the original, whatever the original one was. And I loved it. I loved the way the legs deployed. Uh, it was just at its lowest setting was too tall for me to use with my favorite rear bag. 
so my rear bag was too small and i was like well i'll just i sold it to cl and he's got it on one of his rifles now but he now has the he's has an, he has an atlas and a uh sky pod now he'll be using that sky pod a lot more um but then the Accutech came out with the BR4 and then the BR4 Gen 2, which is the same bipod, just shorter. Perfect. Now I get the bipod that I really liked and enjoyed, and it fixed the problem that I had with the other. And I will say that even it, the stance is a little wide. It's not as wide as the Cal Gen 2, but it's also wider than the standard Atlas or Harris. So I, I, what I do is, and, and that, that bipod, the BR4 is on my AI. And what I do is when I'm shooting a match, if I am prone or if I'm going to be shooting off of something that the width of the stance of the legs doesn't matter, I will use it. But I have a Harris um, Type S with uh, the pod lock. Um, I don't have the spike feet on it because, um, I, I don't know. I just don't have spike feet on that one. I have the spike feet for the BR4 bipod and my Atlas, but I don't have it for the Harris. Um, cause it's, it's more of a, the Harris I use for a is a situational tool. The quick deploy, now mind you, the Harris is by far a inferior bipod to all the ones that I have mentioned so far. Now, there's a whole lot of people, a lot better shoes than I am, that stick their Harris's and swear by them. I understand that. Um, and I'm sure you like them, but the, let's be honest, they're stamped metal. There's no machining to them. They're not all the same. They're not all square. The, um, you know, they, they can be easily broken. But I have the Harris, and I will always have a Harris. You know, I also have the, um, Arca mount for it, the Arca or Picatinny mount for it, um, the all-in-one from Really Right Stuff, and it is a situational tool, meaning if this is something a where one position is stupid easy to you run a bipod with, but the very next one or another one in the stage is not, like meaning there's no bipod at all used. It is, I've got the uh, Cobra knot, whatever it's called, that connects the two legs. I can just easily pull them down to deploy them or push them up and both of them will go up um, to stow them. And I keep that in there for those things. And Or if it's something, if I'm using the um, Accutac BR4 bipod where I'm like, okay, well, this is a prone stage and I know that the prop I'm going to be shooting off of is going to be too narrow for this bipod bam i'll throw the harris on but as soon as i'm done shooting that stage that harris comes off and goes back in the pack because if i'm at a prone stage i'm not using that harris when i have the choice of either my atlas or my uh br4 accutac so but my say is about atlas and if anybody from atlas is listening to this please just take this as constructive criticism and user consumer feedback. The PSR, the PSR bipod would be a damn near perfect bipod. If you would just take the panning out and then have a 
locking system like you have on the Cal Gen 2 to where if you lock that bitch, it's locked. It doesn't have that bottom nut that will eventually make its way loose. But I don't think you'll have that problem even with the current locking mechanism if you take panning out. Because the panning, if you were to lock it tight and never pan that bipod and you were to like load it into like a like a two by four on the ground or something and you're not panning it at all, it's not going to really loosen up on its own. But as soon as you start to pan that bipod, that's when it starts working that locking mechanism loose. And then, bam, your, your rifle's kind of flippy floppy all over the place. Get rid of the fucking panning. Like, I understand that, you know, I've heard the interview from, from uh, B&T Industries, and I realized that there was a reason and still is a reason why they have the panning feature in the uh, regular BT-10 and the PSR. I, I get it. You know, military, quick, uh, target acquisitions, you know, scanning a, a field of fire in all different directions. I get it. I get it. But... There's more of us than there are of them. And just make a another model. Like continue making it the way you make it, but the PSR just offer it would do like a PSR competition and take the fucking panning out cuz none of us want panning, none of us need panning. And if there is there's one against 10 or 20. There's for every one person that likes the panning, there's 20 of us that hate it. Um, you know, that's, that's just my two cents. And if there was a way to make a quick deploying feature, that'd be great. Um, that would be the ultimate bipod. If you took the PSR bipod and got rid of the panning bullshit and then somehow changed the leg angle mechanism and geometry to where it could be a quick, a quicker deploy and stow, um, it would be the ultimate Typical bipod, meaning obviously it doesn't do the things that the Skypod can do. So I can't say it'd be the ultimate over the Skypod, but Skypod, you can lock out all panning and it stays locked out. Or you can add panning and then you've got it if you want it. You can't really lock it out reliably out of these um, atlases that have the panning. You know, the the cow uh, canting anti-lock or whatever it is. Uh, no, anti, oh, fuck, whatever it is. Um, it doesn't pan. Okay. Well, obviously you do realize and agree that there is a time or there is a sect of people that don't need or want panning. Okay. Well, how about you put it in your micro package, like the BT-10 or the PSR. It's a smaller bipod than the Calgen 2. And just take the panning out. If you just take the panning out, you will make my year. I'll go buy two. PSRs if you take the fucking panning out. And I know you would sell and um, you know, revamp the same exact bipod and you'll probably save money, I guess, in the long run by taking that out. I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm not a product engineer, but I can imagine you take away a feature, it should probably be cheaper. You'll sell more of them. So that's why a lot of people don't run the PSRs or the BT10s because they don't like the panning feature. All right, that's enough about panning and bipods. All right, what's next on the agenda? Uh, what I want to go with? Rings. I didn't go over rings. Went over scopes last time. Rings. Okay. I have, now I know there's multiple ones. And there's a bunch of good ones. And everybody's like, their flavor is the best flavor. And if you don't like their flavor, then there's something wrong with you. Um, 
But I have three that I feel the most comfortable with. Uh, Vortex uh, Precision Rings. Seekins Rings, they're, they're the same. They're just rebranded. But the Seekins Rings, um, I've had and have those in the past. Okay. You've got your, my, which is my favorite, would be the American Rifle Company Rings. I have those on most of my rifles because they're the only vertical split ring that fucking works. All the rest of them are bullshit. All the rest of them don't hold zero worth a damn. They suck. All split rings suck. Vertical split rings. They suck. Except for the American Rifle Company rings. They took an idea and made it right. Ted did a good job with those rings. They make mounting a scope the easiest out of them all. Because it's one screw. And you can take tension off just a little bit. And you got a little bit. You can easily adjust a scope a scope's level with these rings more so than most and it's quicker it's easier i love these rings and i put so many people onto these rings um and then you got spurs i've had one two three i've had three or four spur mounts if you want something that's bomb proof spur either i haven't had the rings before but i've had multiple mounts um Spurs are a gold standard. You, if you, someone's looking for rings, if anyone says spur and they go with it, they're fine. They're going to be good. That they, they are precision made. They are fucking tanks. And, you know, they have the, the little wedge for the leveling. Um, I don't like that because I don't necessarily want my scope plumb with my rifle. Depending on, depending on the rifle, depending on what, like my foundation here, I don't have the ability to adjust the butt pad for my shoulder. So I have my rifle actually canted a little bit inward and my scope is plumb with gravity. It's plumb with a plumb line. So that's that, um, tool wedge tool on the spur mount would do me no good here now my ai i can adjust the butt plate and other chassis i've had in the past uh my krg whiskey threes uh, my mpas uh, i could all adjust that and then i don't care if it's plumb with the rifle that's fine if it's plumb with the rifle it makes it easier to be mounting the scope great but i still always check with a plumb line and I, i've said this before in a a thread that always end up popping up somewhere down the line. Someone not doing research on sniper side. They're not searching threads and they come up with theirs, which is the same as has been done a thousand times. As far as mountain scopes, people using levels. I used to use levels, but when I've got three levels and they all say something different, which one do you believe? I mean, I've got the Wheeler kit. I've got ones from Lowe's. I've got uh, all different kinds there. They all say something different then how do you know which one is plumb? The answer to that is you don't. And you don't, I don't use them. Plumb lines, okay? Go to Lowe's, get you a plumb line. You can make one, whatever. Get something heavy, tie it to a string, tie the string off on a nail in the wall, and then 
what I've done is I've taken and I've painted the string so it's dark and black and I can see it. So here's a trick that I do. Now, do yourself a favor and get the indoor dry fire training system. Okay, I love it. I've got it in my reloading room. I do all my barricade practice up here, doing dry fire up here, and it's awesome. I love it. So for that to work, it comes with a scope cap. Well, it comes with a lens um, that you use for parallaxing and focusing down something so close to you, right? Well, then you have to get the Butler Creek Butler Creek uh, objective lens cap, and then you put the lens from the system in the cap. So this made mounting scopes so much easier for me because I don't need to be outside. I don't need to be at distance to where I can focus it at a distance on the plumb line. I put the scope cap on and then I, it, I mean, my plumb line, I'm looking at it right now, it is about three feet from my hanging on my wall, uh, three feet from my indoor dry fire training system. So what I do is I get on my workbench or I get on the floor prone somewhere. I get my bipod locked and everything. And then I look at the plumb line. Now, I have just accomplished the same thing here about 12 feet away as, I, as you would needing to be 50 yards away outside with your scope's ability to adjust and be able to see that plumb line clearly. It's now it's right here at 12 feet and I can do it right here. I can mount 50 scopes in my reloading room if I want to and quickly. So that's so, so my point was, was go get the dry fire training system. But if not, just message them, tell them you need a lens for the scope you have and go get the Butler Creek, Butler Creek. Why can't I fucking say that Butler Creek cap that is for your scope and use it simply for mounting scopes. Boom. And mind you, my scope for my Gen 2 Razor fits multiple different scopes. Uh, it actually fits my Cronus, my Athlon Cronus BTR. I've got one of my hunting rifles. Um, so it's, you know, just, just get one because it's kind of like multiple models fit one cap or vice versa, I should say. Um, and you know, you might be able to use a multiple of your scope or they're not expensive. Just go get a few and hang you a plumb line in your house or your garage and boom, you're, you know, Bob's your uncle. So back to what we're talking about rings, American rifle company, Vortex slash Seekins spurs. Now badger ordinances are awesome. Night force rings are good. I, I've had a set of Night Force Ultralights, and I got rid of them. Um, I've never had badge ordinances. I know they're really good. I'm not going to say anything bad about them, but I just don't know anything about them because I never had them. I only know what others have said about them. Uh, the MPA mounts, they're great. Um, a lot of people like those. I haven't played with the really right stuff ones. I never even, I've never even seen them in the wild, but they look good, and if really right stuff makes it, there's a good chance that they're a, a good quality product as well. Um, but the three that I've been sticking with for the past few years, American Rifle Company, Vortex, and Spur. I've got all three of them. All right, what's next? Oh, slings. To me, the best, and I've had of uh, multiple ones. I've had the short action precision one. I still have it on something. Um, 
and I've had an Armageddon, a couple Armageddon gears, and I have a couple rifles only slings. And I'm going to tell you right now, I love Armageddon gear as a company. I really do. And their slings are nice. They're good. But nothing comes close to me, in my opinion, to the rifles only carbine sling. Now, I have one on my carbine and I have one on my uh, my bolt gun. And uh, because it says carb, they have a precision sling as well. But the carbine sling, I think more people run the carbine sling on their precision rifles than they do the precision rifle sling. Both are super good. Um, I think the biggest difference is their quick adjustability if you're shooting with a sling and their length. I like a, I'm six foot. I'm not really tall. I'm not short either, but I, I like the length of the carbine sling because it holds that rifle up higher to me because I do shoot with a suppressor sometimes and nothing would piss me off more than walking up a hill and dinging the end of my suppressor on a fucking big ass rock or a bunch of little rocks or something. Um, and I just, it, you know, I don't want banging off the tops of my thighs when I'm walking, the carbine sling is the best sling from rifles only. It is the best sling I have ever had and have ever fucked with. And I will, I am forever a rifles only carbine sling owner forever. That's the only sling I'm buying from here on out, unless it's for something like a little cheap ass hunting rifle. Then I'll go to like a sporting goods store and get one. But, um, yeah, if, if you ask me what sling to go with, I'm going to tell you, a hundred out of a hundred times, go get a rifles only sling. Um, speaking of rifles only, um, Jacob Bynum actually, um, messaged me today, asked me what my podcast is about. And I was like, huh? And like I said, precision rifle working dogs. I said, go get a listen. I'd be honored if you go get a listen or whatever. And he said, send me a link to my email. And you know, I did. And, uh, told him I'm a big fan of his and his work. And I'm a true believer in, I've never met Jacob, never taken one of his classes, but you know, I've seen his DVDs and I've seen him on the internet. Uh, I value his opinion more than almost anybody. He's the godfather of precision rifle period. Um, and I dare anybody to say otherwise. Um, if you do say otherwise, it's probably because you just don't like Jacob as a person. And I don't know why. Um, He's a no bullshit kind of guy from what I've seen and what I know of him. And I would be honored to have him on the podcast one day. Um, but um, speaking of classes, I am going to be taking, I don't know if I mentioned, I'm going to take Frank Galley's class in at Treadproof in October. Thank God I've chose the October class because if I had picked the one in May, I'd be so fucking pissed with this coronavirus stuff. Um, but no, I think we're going to, we better be fucking good by October. If we're not good by October, we got bigger problems than missing a precision rifle class. So, um, looking forward to that. I cannot wait for that. Um, it's going to be fun. Have a good time. Uh, Frank and Mark are going to be, uh, are going to be awesome. All right. Next product. What are we going to talk about? Um, rear bags. I know I talked about bags uh, on the last, uh, gear talk episode, and I don't think I got into rear bags specifically. Um, my trusty, go to is the standard tab gear bag i love its pliability its size um the i wish it was a little tall i wish it was a little bit taller 
y'all know who Skilo is. Um, now, I do have a precision rifle underground rear bag that they I actually won it uh, on a contest on Instagram, I think. And they sent it to me, and uh, I like it. The only problem with it is I love the height of the bag. I just wish it had the same width uh, as the tab gear. And I think, I do think the fill, it is a, it's a little too full. And I could let some sand or material out and do better, but I can't. Well, A, because it's so, my hand is completely stretched. My fingers, like, like I'm trying to palm a basketball, basically. I don't have small hands or anything, but I don't have, you know, shack hands either. But um, if I could, if it was a little more pliable and a little less full, I believe I might would be shooting that bag 100%. So I might play with it like, as far as taking some material out. Um, and I'm sure those guys, their customer service is so great. I could send it right to them and they'll do whatever I want to to it and probably would not charge me anything, maybe shipping. Um, it's a really great company. I love their t-shirts. They got the best t-shirts. Um, I wear them all the time. Oh, let's see. But yeah, that's the tab gear is always my trusty go-to. Um, I've had this bag for so since I got started. It was, I think, my second rear bag that I bought. And I've never gotten away from it. I enjoy it. Um, let's see, we'll do ear pro. I have them all. I've got impacts that I use forever. I have MSA sword and Supremes that I like. Um, I like them. They're better than impacts, but I got, as far as over the ear pro, I got spoiled when I bought these uh, Pelator Contact 3s. Uh, they are the most comfortable over the ear hearing pro. I do wish that the audio was a little bit louder, like, like your normal ambient noise and, and talking and stuff. I wish it was louder. And, um, but the sound quality, how it sounds coming to me is great. Um, I'll, funny story. The first time I wore them was in the pig river match in back last July. And mind you, it's my first time wearing them in a match where wearing them in a longer setting, obviously got them on all day. Um, so obviously I didn't read the manual either. I just do them on and hit the damn button, turn them on. I'm on a, I don't know, stage three or four of the day and as I'm on the clock. Okay. I am shooting and all of a sudden beep, beep, beep. I was like, Oh my God. And look, dude, I, it totally, and this is my fault. It, it totally stole my focus. I ended up missing every shot after that. Cause I couldn't get to shut up. I didn't take the time to hit the buttons or anything. And I just listened to the beep. I couldn't hear the RO. I it, it fucked me. And then I was like, what the fuck? These are brand new batteries. Like, I haven't worn these at all. And like, there's no way it eats batteries like this. And I was like, whatever. I, just, I took the batteries out. I had extra batteries in my pack, put new batteries in. About like stage seven of the day. I wasn't, I don't think I was on the clock the second time. But beep, beep. I said, son of a bitch. Like, I cut them off and cut them back on. I didn't know what it was. It, it literally, I fought it. 
all weekend. That was day one. It, I fought it day one and day two. So I get back home. I'm like, there's no way it's eating these fucking batteries as bad. And then I end up reading the manual. And it's just if you don't touch them for two hours, like any of the buttons or whatever, if you just left them on, they auto cut off. And that's a beeping noise letting you know. Now, I wish I could get rid of that beeping noise. Um, I wish you just I'd really just cut the fuck off. But it just the most obnoxious noise. It's like bitch and Betty in an F-15 in the and the avionics where she tells you if you're too low, she's like pull up, pull up, and uh, she's we call her bitch and Betty. That's what this fucker is. This is bitch and Betty in my ears, and that's the only drawback to these things is that goddamn beep. So what I've been doing since then was every stage. I would turn them down and turn them back up. Just all you need to do is hit a button and it kind of like resets them. And uh, that was what I did. Um, and I, ever since then, I haven't had a problem. And I love them. And I know now if I do forget them, it does. All I do is hit that button one time and it just it stops. It gets good. It keeps working and it shuts up. So the some MSAs, the thing I got most disappointed in was they literally the band fell apart. So I have them absolutely ghetto rigged and have electrical tape holding the muffs to the band, like the headband part. And I don't, I don't wear them uh, every now and then. If I don't have those near me or if I got them or someone else needs them and at my house shooting, cause I have a lot of people come over and shoot at my house. I'll give them to them or something like that, but I don't ever wear them anymore. Oh, let's see. Packs. Everly Stocks. I had a high speed two for a while and I forgot which pack this is. The low drag two. I think it's a canvas, like a, a soft. Um, what's that material called? Shit, not velvet. Um, suede. Holy shit. Like a suede material. Uh, and I got that one from I got it for Jeff and then I got it from Jeff and uh, I like it. And it's been good. Uh, packs are packs. You know, Everly stocks are awesome packs. They're heavier and shit. If you're doing mammoth, stay away from Everly stock. From every damn one of them. Don't get Everly stock. Uh, Mystery ranches are good. Kuyu packs are good. Um, fuck, get a Jansport if it's just, you know, whatever. Go to Academy and get a pack that's just got enough room for your shit. You'll learn what you like and what you want in a pack the more you use one. If you're just getting a pack, just go get a one that's like 60 bucks at, you know, one of their tactical, I don't even know what they're called, Draco or, you know, the ones you see walking around SHOT Show all the time, brand new, in their tags, barely off of it. People walking around looking tactical as fuck, yo. And, uh, yeah, just get one of those and run those until you realize what you need. And you may like that one and just be fine with that, you know, and good, they're cheaper. Let's see, what did I not get to? Uh, ballistic apps. I've kind of gone over this in the past. Um, if I'm going on a phone, it's either Shrelock Pro, Trace All, and then after that, I'll then go to the Hornady app. But I have since gotten a Hornady Kestrel, and I am really enjoying it. I haven't shot a match with it yet, but I've been doing shooting here and then at Pactel's Precision's, uh, Precision. We've uh, we've been doing some shooting out there, and I've been and it, hey, look, the damn thing's been spot on. The only thing I do, I put in my true muzzle velocity, my actual muzzle velocity, and then I bump the form factor down by 0.01. Boom, it's trued out to a thousand. So 
I mean, I can't argue with that. And it's, you know, not my phone. It's a cash flow. Everything, environmentals, everything, wind, all right there. I, I do not like applied ballistics. I know it's probably the most used uh, ballistic solver and engine out there. More power to you. I can't stand it. I've never had it to work properly I've, other than having to lie to it like a motherfucker. Um, you know, Jeff and CL both swear by it. And they're good. I'm glad they do. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy to have the, the Hornady Ford off Kestrel. They just need to add some more bullets. <clears throat> 95 SMKs. <clears throat> uh, throw that in there, guys. That'd be great. So, uh, that's, that's about off the ballistic apps. I'm not going to go into, you know, other podcasts have gone into different ballistic engines in way more detail than I need to. So go listen to them. Um, let's see. What did I not get to earbags? Yeah. Everything. Last thing is reloading shit. Okay. I actually have reloading shit here in my notes. Uh, scales. I have the A&D FX120i with the auto trickler and auto throw. Just last night, I, well, we got our refund from our hotel for the Garth Brooks concert we were going to go to in May and took that money and bought me the upgrade kit for the V3. So I'll be getting all the new V3 shit. So I don't have anything upgraded on mine at all. I do have the MK machining funnel kit and a powder cup. I do have that, and it works good. It's a lot better than the other shit I was using. Um, but it is, I mean, I don't have any of the 419 Gucci gear. I don't have any of that, but I'm about to have all the V3 stuff, which I'm happy about, and especially the Bluetooth software, so I don't have to be pulling kernels out to get to a new charge weight that I want to throw that is the only flaw on this thing. I mean, I've got everything rigged up pretty good to where it's damned to the kernel. You know, I, I rarely overthrow or really underthrow. Um, it normally lands on it pretty good by a kernel up or down, which is no big deal. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to get the V3 stuff simply, if not for anything, just that. But I, I did the whole shebang with the, uh, um, the new base for the trickler and the body for the you can Google it and see what it looks like. It's good. Pretty cool. But I'm excited about that. Uh, press Reading T seven. Now 419 just released the, as it called the zero, I think. And the thing looks bitching and I can understand all of the, uh, I guess you'd say improvements upon the design of the press that we've had for a hundred fucking years. Um, but for 1200 bucks, I mean, a lot of people that are going to be buying it are simply for, which I, I ain't, I ain't mad at and I don't hate on, but for reloading room eye candy. Okay. I mean, I love I, you know, my reload. Well, it looks like a fucking disaster right now, but when I first set my reloading room up, it looked Gucci as fuck. And it looks like a damn tornado came through here. Cause that's my organized chaos. Um, theory or lifestyle but the uh yeah that's going to be a big part of it is it looks nice it supposedly all the ball bearings and everything i bet it no homo strokes so good um and I, when i first saw it it had nine a nine die turret and i was like shit man i'm gonna I'm going to have to get that because i mean i, I got dies that i like to have in my t7 that are not because i don't have enough room 
until I found out that it is not a pivoting head, a floating head, which that hey, that probably uh, adds to its uh, you know tolerances and consistency. I, I get that. But if I can get you know groups into point ones and point twos, and you know SDs of three over a ten round string, well, how much can you improve ammo? Right now, I can, like I said, I can understand the way it looks, the op, the operation of actually just pulling the 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 handle and everything, I guess. But how can you teach me? Tell me how can I make ammo more consistent? And I and a lot, it's been a big thread on that, and I get it, and I get the people who are in support of it. I'm not hating on it. It looks awesome. Like I I love the win one. I mean, I would definitely put one in here if I won one, but I could use that $1,200 on another FX uh, 120i. I'd love to have a second one of those. You know, I want something that's going to make me faster in the reloading room because my time is more valuable. And if it makes better ammo, that's great. If it can do both, that's awesome. Well, that's kind of the boxes that the FX 120i or a Prometheus check off and i can understand why they cost what they cost but as far as the press goes i can unless you can make my ammo noticeably to where i can shoot the difference then i would just rather spend my money elsewhere and that's not a knock on the press or the design the thing is is the most as modern of a design as you're going to have and the most precise precisely machined and you know, engineered press on the market. I'm not taking that away. But if you could somehow turn that turret head quickly, click quickly, man, it'd have been a killer then. But because I love my T7, the only thing I don't like about it is I can't put more dies on the turret. So that's it. Um, anything else reloading? Uh, reloading trays. Uh, I've got a Patriot Valley Arms hundred round tray that. I am in love with this billet aluminum machine and beautiful. Every edge is taken off of it and it's heavy. It's hundred rounds. It's a pretty anodized blue. Uh, I think the two twenty threes are red and I think the, the magnums are maybe black. I can't remember. I, I don't need, I don't reload any magnum anymore, so I don't need it. But, um, uh, I love this reloading tray. So go to Patriot Valley Arms and pick up one of these reloading trays. And they're cheap, too. They are very reasonable. Um, well, everybody knows I shoot Varget. I mean, Varget, $48.95, $43.50. I mean, I've got some $41.66. I mean, those are really the only powders I need. So I've got some. I got three or four pounds of um, R26 uh, or reloader RL26 and uh, 17 and some 16, but I don't, don't ever use them. Uh, Lapua or die, sorry. Um, and then uh, CCI 450i primers. Uh, let's see, I've got the Hornady um, case prep with uh, chamfer and deburring tools and a primer pocket reamer. And what else do I got up here reloading? I got a fucking uh, Harbor Freight Special Media Tumbler. It works just fine. It holds all the brass I want to do at one time. 
And I've got the RCBS Universal Pro uh, priming, hand priming tool. I just switched to that over the priming arm on my press. And I'm really enjoying the hand primer sitting there in front of the TV with a beer and just priming brass, watch TV with safety glasses on. I think I've talked about my close call uh, before, and I'm glad that didn't turn out worse than it was. But wear your fucking safety glasses. Uh, let's see. Anything else reloading? I'm, trying to look. I'm looking around in my reloading room trying to find some shit. I mean, I've got shit that I've used that's not reloading stuff that I used to reload. And I've like to separate my med- my brass and media. I have a uh, 12 quart, like a oval, like water, like a mop bucket. And then I have a pasta strainer that sits sideways across it. So it kind of floats the, the handles go to each side of the bucket. So I'll put it up on my bench and pour all my brass and media into the, um, the strainer. And then I'll just shake it with my hand. And then once I get all the media out, that's just piled up in the strainer. I'll then kind of toss the brass a little bit, uh, kind of like you would, um, like stuff in a frying pan, trying to, like you see all the fucking weird chefs and stuff doing, I'll do that to get the brass out. I mean, the, uh, the tumble meat out of the brass. That's how I separate. Yeah. I could go get the Frankfurt arsenal or 21st century, whichever, whoever makes it the little media separator. You just put in there like a, a lotto thing and spin it. Um, I use cookie sheets for case, uh, case lubing, uh, lay them all out. Yeah. I used to set them all up in like in like lines and then I'd spray each line, a row of brass, and then I'd turn the tray and then spray it again. I use the Hornady one shot lube the most of the times. Um, you know, I do have the, I got the old school, uh, um, RCBS case lube, but I rarely use that. Um, cause I like to get in the next too. So, um, but now I just lay them all out in the pan and then I just spray them and move them around my hands, spray them again. And it's, it works great. Uh, I think it covers all the reloading stuff. So that is my, I guess the wrap up of my equipment. If y'all can think of, uh, equipment stuff that I didn't go over that you guys want to hear specifically about, please feel free to comment and I will address those in another episode and just kind of hit them as like a bullet point. Um, I guess I didn't go over dies. Uh, dasher dies. Uh, my dasher dies. I have Widen. I have the Widen adjustable sizer die. That thing's been real kick-ass. I like that. And I've got the I got the Widen cedar die, and I've been a, a Redding Type S kind of rider die reloader, but um, I got these on a suggestion, and I really like the sizing die a lot. The cedar die is not horrible. I just really like the um, the Reading Type S cedar dies better. Um, I have a problem with the, if you don't know anything about the Widen cedar dies. So the stem is adjustable outside of the actual micrometer knob, like the, the top cap that you would normally spin to go up or down. And if that nut loosens up at all, I will, you can turn the cap, but it doesn't move the stem at all. So I have a problem with it. If I take 15 thou, if I try to add 15 thou seating depth, and if that nut stays still and is not locked down to the top of that, but basically if I don't put my finger on that nut and spin with that cap, it won't spin. Like I've 
I have put 15th out on it without doing that and then sized it and it didn't change the seating depth at all. And I was like, had to run the nut all down and spin it another 15th out and then do it. You don't have that problem with the Type S. I'm a really big fan of the Type S seating dies. But the Widen's uh, size, uh, adjustable sizing die, that thing is badass. You can feel the clicks. The threads have uh, their have indentations or uh i don't really know what to call them little, little it comes like a serrated blade almost and there's got little set screws around the collar of the die that will you will feel clicks on that as you move it out or down so if you want to bump one more thou instead of two thou you want to do three thou of shoulder bump boom turn that thing to you feel one click and then boom it's one thou and i i'm really enjoying this size and die from witten uh, these are my first wind dies. Every other die I own is a um, Reading Type S. Uh, I have the Hornady Bullet Puller die. I've just started using that as opposed to my Grip and Pull, which scars the fuck out of bullets. And if you don't have, uh, if you've got a lot of the bullet in the case neck, you ain't getting it out. So I quit using that. And I got this Hornady Bullet Puller die, and it's been working great. Uh, who is this? Is this a Lee, uh, decapper die? Yep. So Lee decapping die. I decap separately from sizing. I do. I always, always, always take the decapping, uh, rod and the um, button out of the sizer button out of my sizing dies. I do not do them all in the same time. So I decap in its own die and I can decap 300 wind mag or six dash or without ever touching it. So and it's great. So, and then I have a uh, Sinclair um, mandrel die, expanded mandrel. Um, yeah, I have that's those are my dies. All right, now I'm already an hour ten into this. I'm contemplating to make this its own episode, or if I want to go in, I think I would probably do you guys more of a service by saving um, the topics. I tell you what I'll do. I'll split the difference with you. I will read you the questions that I'll read you the whole message. Okay. So he messaged me, Jack Master. I think his name is Jeff. He was on uh, Sniper's Hide a few months ago. Um, great guy. He did the uh, Windrose um, printout thing with everything broke down, mile per hour stuff, using the you know mile per hour system, which is awesome. Uh, I said, Hey bud, great episode. Uh, this was after, this wasn't the, the last episode. This was after episode 10, I believe. Um, I like the gear talk. If you want to keep down this road, here's a place to see everything to talk about. Feel free to use this in any of your ideas and topics to chat about. Then sent me the link to the thread that he had made up about all the gear and stuff like that, that I mentioned to you earlier. Um, also, let me know if anything else needs to be added to the list. Keep up the good work. Info. Yep, Ted. Ted. Ted's his name, not Jeff. Ted. Um, and I uh, said, so thanks, dude. I remember seeing that thread when you originally posted it. Great knowledge reference. I might jump over to that when I pick back up on the topic. I appreciate it. How are you liking the podcast overall? says, it's good overall. It's nice to hear from a mid-pack shooter and not an instructor or top 10 guy. Uh, they are way above our level and have resources we do not have, which is true. 
Uh, topics have been good gear companies uh, and company support loads matches everything I like to hear about adding how you train and dry fire would be good which I will do um, let's see what uh, what you recommend to a new shooter to do to improve is always good audio has been struggle uh, but for only 10 episodes you're figuring out yeah my, the audio has been struggle because I'm not a like I said very good editor and don't care to be uh, don't sweat that part. Focus on the content, which is what I try to be doing. So I appreciate that, Ted. Um, I really like how you don't sugarcoat anything, which I do not, and are and talk R-rated, which is an understatement. Uh, that's um, he didn't say those words. Uh, I added that. It keeps my attention better. Most guys at a match talk this way too. I understand why they don't on podcast. Um. I uh, wish you had more, had some matches to go to so we could hear more about the shooting. And here are a couple things I would like to hear from your personal experiences. This is a list of 11 things. And then uh, I'm going to give you the list. And then after, and the next episode will be this list and broke down. And because I, I that's, that way I'll try to give you a more thought out um, answer or you know how my brain works by this point, and I'll, I'll get off on tangents. So I'll try to make notes on each one of these questions to kind of keep it more direct to the point. Worst gear failure at a match or top three? Man, I got a bunch of them. What piece of gear did you have little expectations from, and have it surprised you of how well it helped you? I got a couple things I can think about that. Worst, men he's going to put metal, he meant mental. Worst mental mistake in a match. Man, I could literally, if you put them all up on a wall, I could close my eyes and throw a dart because I've got, and land on one of them because I've got so many. What mental mistake you've made a few times in matches that you had to fix or wish you could fix? A repeating mistake. And I, same goes for that. I got plenty of those. That's my problem. Uh, details of a stage you thought you would suck at and you had a really good outcome or a stage you fucked up and made an awesome recovery to get a good score. All right. I know I know one of the first, which was one I thought I would do bad at that I actually did really well at. And I don't know about any that I kind of pulled out of the ashes um, for recovery. Uh, what was the worst and best type of person to shoot a match with? Yeah, we can get into that. What is your process after a match to self-evaluate how you did and what you need to work on. That is very important because that goes into the book that I had mentioned, The Secrets of Mental Marksmanship, back at episode one or two. I mentioned that book, and we'll get into that in detail. Um, uh, have you taken any shooting classes? Where and who? And what is your review? Um, how do you how do you balance? <laughs> this is everybody's million dollar question. How do you balance home? work and shooting yeah if, if i i'll tell you how i do it if i had the right answer buddy uh i'd make everybody's life a lot easier uh, have you ever taken a hunting rifle to a match to evaluate how much better your competition rifle or ai make you i want to he says he, he wants to start a challenge for this challenge of good shooters to bring a rifle with a chassis stock and scope under 1200 dollars total and see how they do um 
yeah, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of people doing that, but it would be a cool idea. I don't even know if I have anything. I mean, other than like a damn, like a real, for real, for real, shitty hunting rifle. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's what I think the next episode is going to be on. So you got you got the question. Think about that's what I want you to do. I want you to to go back, rewind. And each one of these questions, write them down. And then I want you to give your answers to have. And then we'll see if mine match up to it or come close to it or something like, okay, well, yeah, they, he's basically got the same thing going on that I did here or or whatever. And then, look, you guys can post in the comment section or in my uh, in the Just If Ascendant podcast um, Facebook group. And if, you, if you're not a member there so far or yet, just go search it on Facebook and it is as soon as you just hit uh, join me or any member in there can approve you. It's an, a pretty much an open group. Y'all comment in the comment section. We'll talk about it there. So um trying to think of any parting words for the evening. Uh, this episode is coming like what? Three days after the last one. So I'm trying to get stuff. The more content I get coming and ideas and stuff and I'll, the more time that I get, I will uh, start kind of getting these podcasts a little closer together to give you some uh, stuff to listen to on your days that you're not at work and uh, hopefully social distancing. So, um, man, I tell you what, getting on that topic, it's amazing to me that we, it's not that it's, it's is what a natural reaction to. This is all planned to literally throw our constitution out the window in a time of crisis. Like that's what the founding fathers who wrote the constitution had in mind. Like this is all, this is all in stone until somebody, you know, butt fucks a bat and gets everybody sick. So that's, they, they use, they're using the coronavirus as a vehicle, as a tool to be able to do things that they couldn't get away with in any other normal circumstances for the most part. So, and people are getting sick of it. There's people in Raleigh, the big protests in Raleigh, but their vehicles, uh, I'd say big, it was, it was big, but it wasn't like massive, but people got arrested for not for, for assembling. I mean, that's it. They didn't break any laws other than these new guidelines and shit and that they're doing. Uh, Michigan's had a, Fuck, they had a huge uh, protest. There's Minnesota. Uh, there's tons of places. Uh, old Blackface Ralph Northam has done some... He's done a damn booger bear on Virginia residents with this shit. Passing all types of damn... Most of the gun control bills that he wanted to pass back in February uh, that ended up getting put on hiatus, he got most of them through during this shit because what couldn't nobody come and... and basically oppose it so you know never let a good crisis go to waste and that's that still rings true today um yeah be safe guys look i'm not saying stay in your damn house i'm not saying to uh you know shelter in place or to stop going about your lives and, and making your livelihood um i'm just telling you be careful okay um the coronavirus is not a joke, but it also isn't the boogeyman that is, it's being portrayed as to. Um, but not only that, at what at what price do you have on your freedoms? What is that going to cost you? That's what you got to think about. That's what I think about. 
Like at what, what, what does it take for me to compromise my rights that otherwise, if it not, if, if they can be, be so easily stripped away from you, then they weren't rights at all. They were permission slips. I mean, that's what we have to keep in mind. You know, we, we knew, we knew in 1776, we knew there were some lives were going to get lost. You know, we, we, we knew it wasn't going to be easy that it came at a, a, a huge cost. And it did. And why is that? So why is that thought? Why is that, that mantra? Why is that, that burning need for freedom? And why is that so foreign today? Why is that so out of the ordinary and like are looked at as archaic? Why is the knowledge of our, of our forefathers, some of the smartest men in history, if not the smartest men in history, why is that so looked at from a lens of, well, that was back then. Times are different now. Freedom is freedom. It's timeless and it's priceless. So maybe, maybe that's what we need to get back to. That's the way I feel. I don't look at, I mean, I love reading the Federalist Papers. And I feel the way they did then. I feel that way now. But people like me, and I'm not, I'm not the only one, but people like me who feel that way are looked at as crazy, as as archaic the right word, nostalgic, uh, you know, unrealistic, irrational. Those are the words that come to mind that uh, that we get the way we get looked at, or at least I get looked at when, when coming about these topics, like, Oh, you think, you know, what would happen to this, that, and the other? like, look, we've let this federal government, this, this thing grow. It was on a leash. It was a little puppy dog. And now it's a, it's a damn gigantic wolf that will just soon as eat you as, as look at you. And that's what we had today. And we've and we got nobody to blame but ourselves. Leave it to the politicians to do it. If you let them do it, they will. It's it's not their fault. It's in their nature because most of them are complete pieces of shit. It's us for the American people for allowing them to. Right? I mean, can you get can you get mad at a lion for trying to eat you if you're out in the bush in Africa? Can you get mad at a lion for trying to kill you? No, it's in their nature. You, it's up to you to not let it happen, to you to do what you have to do to not get eaten. And we haven't done that as a nation really since its inception. It's like from the day it started, the day it started was the best, and then it just declined every year after that. And we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We're living in the... the with all of that said, with all that being true, I, I really feel that way. This is still, God damn it, it is the greatest country on earth in the history of the earth to live in. Now, it's not as great as it has been as far as freedoms and 
you know, the, the lack of overreaching, overbearing government over you and, and rulers and people who, you know, see themselves as kings and queens. And it's still the, it's still the greatest country on the planet. And every one of us here in America, which I know I've got a lot of, let's now I say a lot. There's a good percentage of, of folks that are listening to podcasts don't live in America. And I, I, I want everyone to know, and I want everyone to feel is the way I do about this country. As far as I'm as proud as I can be to be born here. Now, did I have anything to do with that? No, I did not choose to be born here. I was lucky to be born here. That was it. I was lucky to be here and I'm damn fucking proud of it because this is the greatest nation the history has ever known. And for anyone in another country listening to this and you feel even more so the way about your government as I do with mine, because well, if you're not here in the United States, there's a good chance your government is far beyond where ours is as far as these overreaching, overbearing powers over your life, you know, immigrate here. You know, we, I, I love people from other countries that move here and for the American dream legally, please. But that come here and want to be an American as much as I love being an American. That to me, I know people that have lived here in America for less than three years that I swear to God, they're more American than apparently a, I mean, over half of the people that actually live here that were born here. They're more American than all of them because they, they want to come here. They know it's the best country on the planet. They don't come here and say everything that needs to be fixed here and make our place look more like where they just the fuck where the fuck they just came from. They come here knowing that this is the best country in the world and that they want to be as a part of it as I am. They want they they completely have turned their backs on the oppressive places they came from and they they love their new country. Those are more American than any of those fucking asshats that we all see in the media, half of the media in and of itself, those people are are 10 times the American as those pieces of shit that you see on your TV every night. Whether it be the ones covering the news or the ones making up the news or the ones that are being covered by the news that you see uh, people who, who just hate this country. They don't realize their right to be able to say that, which it is their right. And I, I, I don't want them to not say it. I don't want them to feel that way, but they do feel that way. So they have the right, their First Amendment right, just like I got the First Amendment right to say what I'm saying right now. They have the right to say the, the, the hateful, incorrect things that they're saying. This country is not perfect. No country on the planet is and has ever been perfect. Let me tell you something. Slavery, even in our our in our best day of a country, in our best day, slavery was 100% legal. 
And that is the that is the epitome other than maybe the Holocaust. That is the epitome of evil. And that is horrible. But given the times, it's it was I mean, slavery has been around. It's still around today. It doesn't make it any less wrong or right. But that doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater because those same men wrote, in my opinion, the most perfect document ever written by man. And that is the Constitution of the United States Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. Okay. And I, I hate that black eye that we have on this nation. It, it, it's, it can always be, that eye can always be repoked because of what, you know, what was once fine here. It was one of the most heinous things that we can think of. But still cannot, that does not negate, that does not negate the brilliance that came into creating this country and the patriotism that came out of it. I mean, that the, the patri- the, the, they were willing to lay their life down for their land. I mean, it really wasn't even a country yet. There were colonies. I, I don't know. I can be here all night talking about this. It, I, I hope it didn't bore you. It's, I've been on this subject for maybe about 10, 10 20 minutes now. I don't, I'm sorry if you don't get into it. Just turn it off next time I get into this. But this is something that's important to me. Uh, history is very important to me. Um, even history I don't like. and Because um, that's definitely a thing. But the more you erase it out of history, the more likely it is to repeat itself. So that's why it's good to talk about it. But bottom line is this country is a, is under an attack on so many different fronts. People on the outside attacking on the inside. People on the inside attacking. Um, our way of life is under is under attack, and it's there should be a fire in your belly. I mean, there there is in mine, and I I, I wish there was a day that. We could see a change, uh, and an awakening of of some sorts of people. Just go to the polls. I mean, go vote the way that you should vote. Vote the way you want to, but don't vote your own freedoms away, because that's exactly what has been going on for years: is voting yourself into a hole, voting yourself freedomless. You know, voting voting yourself to be a victim and to be preyed upon and your cattle. I mean, you're voting to be cattle because that's exactly where you're groomed and herded. It's exactly that's what this whole thing is with the coronavirus. I mean, you're being herded. Say, so, okay, all right, everybody go back in your homes. Everybody go in your door indoors and 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 just stay shut away. You know, the, the big bad boogeyman will go away if everybody just goes in their homes. You know, it's. It's tough. It's, we're, we're, in, we're in an unprecedented time right now because we're fighting two enemies and one of them we can't see. So anyway, appreciate it. If you made it this far, I owe you a beer. And um, uh, what's today? Monday. I'll try to get the other one cranked out this week. Might be tomorrow night. Might be Wednesday night. Um, so I'll get y'all some more content. Appreciate you guys. Don't forget to share. Please share on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I don't know. I'm not on Twitter, but um and then uh comment in the in the podbean app 
come on over to Sniper's Hide. I got a thread there. You can just search Joseph and Send It podcast or come to Facebook, find the uh, Joseph and Send It podcast Facebook group, and let's talk some shit. Appreciate it, guys. Good night.